Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we, we sing out these words not to remind you, but to remind us of who you are. God, we give you our fear, our anxiety, our desire for control. We give you our hopes, our dreams, our hurts, our wounds. We just ask God that you would just allow us to experience your peace, your joy, and your love. Give us a faith bigger than our circumstances, we pray. And we do ask God for a miracle that you would be with those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are afraid, those who are grieving. And we just ask that you might surprise the scientists and government officials at how this ends way more quickly than anyone expected. We pray for that kind of miracle. And God, help us to do our part as well that we might be mindful of those around us, mindful of those who are susceptible. And we just uh, thank you, God, for your goodness, that we can praise you even when circumstances are difficult. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you would, go ahead and have a seat. Again, my name is Eric. I'm the campus pastor here at Gateway in South Austin. We're so glad that you're here today. Today is a little bit... A different. Um, a few weeks ago, I ended up in a conversation with a couple that's been part of our church for several years, and they told me the rest of the story. Have you ever uh, been in a situation, and then, you know, things get busy, and then you, you don't necessarily hear what happens later? Well, you're going to get to hear from Bill Akey just a remarkable example of how God still does miracles, now, what happened is a year ago this month, I got a call from a friend of theirs letting me know that Bill had been in an accident. And so I went to the hospital to visit him, and his, I had just missed his wife, Lynette, and he was there. And um, unresponsive to me, I discovered later he was in a coma. And so I prayed for him, and I felt prompted. I don't always do this, but I felt kind of prompted to write down what I was praying and even what... God had prompted me to pray. And so here's the note that I left there. I said, Bill and Lynette, I came by and prayed for you both. Our God is a healer physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and in every way. Jesus sent out his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. My prayer is for complete healing so you both might be able to share of God's power to those in your life. Keep us posted on how to pray and serve you and your family. Now, what's interesting is I had no idea that at that point, the doctors had not given much hope to Lynette that Bill would even survive. And as they shared with me just the remarkable ways that God worked, I wanted them to share the story because I told them they one day would <laughs> in this note. And so I'm eager for you to hear Bill from Bill, uh, just a, a modern-day example of how God still does the miraculous. Now, I, I want to say this, too. Sometimes God says yes to little prayers so we can trust him when he says no to the big prayers. Uh, Tim Keller once said, he's a pastor out of New York City, that God answers our prayers the way we would if we knew what he knows. And so we don't always understand what's going on, but it's fun to celebrate with someone when they experience the miraculous. Would you welcome with me Bill Akey? 
It was a picture-perfect day. After a week or so of rain, the sun was finally out. There was a nice light breeze. It was the kind of weather that an outdoorsy guy like myself loves to be working in. I was renovating the exterior of a cabin high in the hills overlooking Austin, and I was in my element. <laughs> From where I was working, I could see a steep grassy hill, but I was unaware that the hill led to a cliff, a cliff with a 30 to 40 foot drop. I was about to fall over that cliff and wind up in a coma with a life-threatening brain bleed. Suffer seven skull fractures, five facial fractures, a crushed eye socket, and a traumatic brain injury. Maybe you've had a tragedy you didn't see coming, something unexpected that changed the course of your life. Maybe you asked why. Maybe you're still asking. For me, the big question wasn't why, it was how. How the heck did I fall? <laughs> the answer is, I don't know. My short-term memory is impaired by the injuries to my brain, and I don't remember that horrific fall. I don't know if I saw white light or heaven. But even so, this story is full of miracles. <clears throat> the first one involved the rocky creek bed where I landed, which was obscured by trees and very remote, except for a little cabin near the creek. Nick, the man who lives in the cabin, would normally have been at work when I fell, but Nick just happened to take the day off to hang out at home and relax. And he just happened to be there to call 911 right after I fell. When Nick first found me, I was fairly conscious, but had no clue my skull was crushed. I insisted that Nick help me get up. Now, most of us know you don't want to move someone who's just fallen because they could have a neck or back injury, but in the midst of his own state of shock, Nick helped me up. As I stood there, clinging to a tree, I had no idea that my strange desire to stand just happened to keep my brain from bleeding out. Anyway, while the EMS team was making their descent down the steep cliff to rescue me, my wife, Lynette, was already headed to the hospital. But she just happened to get stuck in traffic. This gave her the chance to text everyone we know and ask them to pray. By the time I reached the emergency room, dozens of people were already praying for me. My wife had been told that my injuries were minor, but everyone prayed hard anyway. Did those prayers affect what happened next? When she got to the emergency room, this is what my wife saw. I don't look all that bad, do I? <laughs> what you can't see is the left side of my head, which was cracked wide open. From here, I look whole, but really, I was shattered. The neurosurgeon who operated on me told Lynette, I don't think I can save your husband. But Lynette was counting on another physician the great physician to save me. The handful of people that she had originally texted for prayer then sent out their own requests, and within a matter of hours, people across the country were praying for me. This is what I looked like after the first surgery. I had never been hospitalized before. I took no medications, I worked out five days a week, I even ate kale. So to see me looking like this, was a shock. So my wife asked God for encouragement, and immediately after she prayed, God sent promise. 
an ICU nurse assigned to me who was actually named Promise. And without being asked, Promise offered to pray for a miracle. (laughs) Was this just a wild coincidence? A few days later, Lynette's debit card just happened to stop working. She ran to the bank and was helped by a teller who shared the story of his own recovery from a traumatic brain injury. God was continuing to answer Lynette's prayer for encouragement. And boy, would she and my sons need it, because as I regained consciousness, I did not believe I was in a hospital. I insisted to my family and friends that I was in a movie, playing the role of an accident victim. The director is crazy, I said. Everything is way too realistic. Just look at all these tubes. Then I removed my props and tried to leave the set. In other words, I pulled out my IVs and attempted to get out of bed. So the hospital staff strapped me down. But tricks I've learned from being in the Boy Scouts and watching episodes of MacGyver made me a resourceful guy. I very craftily used my fingers to undo the straps and pull out my tubes again and again, so they put my hands in mittens. I was desperate to be free because I did not realize that the restraints were keeping me safe. Could something that is stopping you actually be protecting you? After a few weeks in intensive care, I had a second surgery where my brain lacerations were stitched up. Titanium plates were used to create a stable skull for me, and my crushed eye socket was replaced with an artificial one. But this time, I didn't recover as quickly as the doctors anticipated. Thankfully, my wife and sons were surrounded by a great group of family and friends who brought meals, sent encouraging texts, and prayed. Boy, did they pray. Pastor Eric and folks from this church were praying. Other congregations joined in. Groups from Mexico City to Israel prayed. The value of these prayers cannot be overstated. They brought hope and comfort and healing. So, how does prayer work? Why are some people prayed for but don't survive? Why did I? Valid questions. And ones that I can't answer. But I can be grateful for God's hand when I see it. After this second surgery, I was supposed to be out of ICU in three days. Instead, I lingered there for 10. From ICU, I would need to be transferred to a rehab facility, and one of the top centers in the nation was very close to our home in South Austin. Surely. This was a miracle. But wait, they didn't have any beds available on the day the doctors thought I would be discharged. (laughs) Discharged in three days? Sorry, no beds available. But wait again, because my recovery took 10 days, and guess what? On day nine, a room unexpectedly became available. Here's a photo from me there. This may look like a kid's bounce house, but that was actually my bed. Yes, I had to be zippered in at night so that I wouldn't try to escape. At one point, I took a pen and ripped through the mesh netting. After that, my room was a crayons-only zone. Yeah, but you had a traumatic brain injury, Bill. 
Give yourself some slack. True. But my TBI only accounted for part of what I was facing. I daily fight the temptation to let my identity be about my accomplishments, specifically centered around work. So confused as I was, I still had a strong desire to accomplish something. When can I get back to work, I asked. Again and again, I was told I needed to master simple tasks first, like walking without falling, dressing myself, brushing my teeth, etc., etc. This made me angry and depressed. Yes, it's a miracle that I'm alive. But at the same time, I can't drive yet because of my vision. I have some short-term memory issues. The titanium in my skull makes my head numb, and I can feel screws when I comb my hair. <laughs> But I imagine you have issues too. And wounds. God wants to heal them. I know it's hard to let go and trust him, but trusting God is what's helping me each day. God is constantly trying to reveal his love in our lives, in situations big and small. He's showing my family and I his love and his plan for us through people we know and people we don't know. And he has a plan for you, a good plan with a future and a hope. That's why he sent Jesus, because he loves you. Just say, God, what's your plan for me? Then watch him do a miracle in your story, just like he's doing in mine. Thanks for listening. Isn't that amazing? So then how do we pray? I asked Amber Andrade, who's our Connections Director, to share with us. Give her a hand as she comes. So in the past series that we were in, we talked a lot about conversations, spiritual conversations that we can have with our friends, our family, our coworkers, people that we come in contact with, you know, with that What's After Life book and follow-up conversations that we could have. But I'm here today to tell you about the most important conversation that you can have on a daily basis, and that's your conversation with God. Did you know that God wants to have conversations with you? Did you know that God wants to have conversations about your conversations? <laughs> Having a conversation with God first starts with learning how to pray. In Luke 11, Jesus had just finished praying and a disciple came up to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I figure if the disciples who hung out with Jesus on a daily basis and the flesh had to be taught how to pray, then I need to be taught how to pray. We need to be taught how to pray. And Jesus immediately responds with this model prayer. Um, it's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer if you come from different church backgrounds. And I find it interesting that the disciple didn't go to Jesus and say, teach us how to complain, teach us how to vent, teach us how to whine. No, that came pretty, pretty natural to them. And I imagine, I don't know about you, but it comes pretty natural to me too, especially when you're trying to find some toilet paper in this town. <laughs> so anyway, 
<laughs> yes, chips and salsa. Um, anyway, so then Jesus begins to teach them how to pray through giving them this model prayer. It's found in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. It goes like this. Our Father, and if you know it, feel free to say it. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, was Jesus teaching the disciples and us this prayer so that we could repeat it over and over again and memorize it, repeat it over and over? Maybe, but I think there's a lot more to it. It seems to me that Jesus was always saying more than he ever actually said. I mean, think of the parables. We serve a God who can get a lot done with less time and fewer words. Jesus always speaks more than what he says because he wants us to lean in, engage in conversation, in two-way communication with him. So let's dive into this model prayer, but I have to give you a little disclosure because there is no way that we're going to be able to recover all things prayer in the next 15 minutes. But make note, exciting news, we are going to have a Gateway University course in the summer called Teach Us to Pray, where we'll get to dive in a little bit deeper than what we can today. And in fact, we're only going to be able to cover the first part of this prayer, but I think it will be enough to get you excited. So here we go. The first part says, Our Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, we actually got to break it down even more. Let's start with our Father. Our Father. Our Dad. It starts with intimacy. It starts with knowing my position. It starts with knowing that I'm his daughter that I'm his son, that I'm his child. It starts with knowing the safety that's available in coming to him. Have you ever seen, you know, pre, little toddlers and preschoolers, when they go running up to their mom and dad, mom and dad scoops them up, and it doesn't matter how they're feeling, they could have a really bad day and be really upset, or they could be really excited, but they go running up, mom and dad scoops them up. We can have that same freedom with God. And I know that some of you in this room may be like me, and perhaps you didn't have a very good example of a mom or a dad. Um, I'll share a little bit of my story. I grew up in a home where, let's just say, I didn't have a dad that was anything like our Heavenly Father. And so when I was first exploring this whole God thing and who God was, I, I heard, I found out that God was a father that he was a dad, that he was a good father, that he was nothing like human, uh, human beings. And so I was like, okay, tell me more. I need, I need to know more about this God. And so I jumped into a faith community, into a church. I dove into scripture and just learned, I need, I need to find out who this God is. And as I dove in, I indeed found out that he really is a good dad. He is a good father. And you know what? I found out so much more. You know, God actually has a mother's heart. He's nurturing. He's compassionate. God is such a comforter. He can comfort in ways that no thing and no person, no addiction ever can. God is a God of wisdom. He has so much wisdom. He's trustworthy. 
He doesn't look anything like this world. We can have freedom in running to God. Well, and I'll say this. He is much greater than the coronavirus. You know, PSA, okay? Um, All right. Um, And perhaps just as I'm saying all this, maybe you're in this room and you were like me and you weren't sure about this whole God thing. And maybe you're like me and you didn't have a very good example of a mom or a dad. And you know, if if you don't um, get anything from this message today, I hope you can get this, that there, there is a God. And not just a God, but the one true God who loves you, who sees you, who cares about you, who doesn't reject you, who doesn't abandon you like earthly parents or people do. He's here to meet you. He waits for you. He anticipates time with you way more than man's best friend. And I know for some of you that's hard to wrap your brain around, but it's true. If you are, and in fact, today, if you want to make that decision, you want to get to know who this dad is, who this God is, our prayer team is going to be on both sides of the stage ready to meet with you and pray with you um, so you can discover what I did. All right, so the next part of this prayer, Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven. Why did he say that? What did he mean by that? And side note here, it's always good to ask God questions. God, why did you say this and not this, not that? Why did you use this and not that? At Gateway, we say, bring your questions. And God says, bring your questions. He loves to answer your questions. That's what conversation's all about, right? Two-way communication. All right, so who is in heaven? Here, Jesus is teaching us and helping us to remember that God is in heaven and has a different perspective. The world is in fear. The world is in panic. God is in heaven. The world is in anxiety. The world is in keeping up with the Joneses. The world is in knocking someone out while you're standing in line at HEB so you can grab the last Clorox wipes. The world is in self-focus, self-promotion, self-glorification, self, 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 but God is in heaven. When we go to him in prayer, it's important that we know that he has a different perspective he doesn't look like the world. He doesn't see like the world. And we, as we learned last week from John Lee, God created us in his image. We're his masterpiece. We don't create him in our image. God doesn't look like this world. And I don't know about you, but that is sure comforting to me to know that we have a God who is above all this mess down here, but yet wants us to invite him into it. So, so far, Jesus has taught us that we can approach God in safety and know that we are loved as his dear child and that when we come to him, it's important that we know that he knows way more than we do. Next, Jesus teaches us that worship is actually part of prayer. It says, hallowed be your name. When's the last time you used the word hallowed? Yeah, me neither. Hallowed or hallowed, however you want to say it, it means holy, consecrated, greatly revered and honored, praised. Wow, how do we do that? Well, I guess first, if I'm to hallow God's name, well, then I guess I'd first need to know, know God's name. 
Did you know God has a lot of names? A lot of names throughout scripture. And oh, I wish that we had time to go through all of his names. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, El Shaddai. Around Christmas time, we hear a lot about Emmanuel. But I will tell you this. God's names are his attributes. His names are his character. His names are his nature who he is. So in this part of the, of the model prayer, Jesus is teaching us, he's inviting us into more. He's inviting us to get to know more of who God is, who he really is. He already wants us to know him as father, right? That seems to be the most, most important name. It's the first name that we hear. But he wants us to dive into an even deeper relationship with this magnificent God of whom when we know what kind of God he is, who he really is, what he's really like, and not, not who the world thinks he is, not who our friends and family think he is, not what our pain and circumstances accuse him of, but who he really is, we can't help but worship him. We can't help but hallow him. And it's really interesting that Jesus teaches this part of the prayer before we go into the next part because we really gotta know who God is before we can, even, before we can pray what's next. Next part of this prayer, and we pray this, but it's probably better said to proclaim or declare, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here, Jesus is saying that when we pray to our Father, God, who is in heaven and is so incredibly awesome in so many ways, he wants us to ask for heaven to come to earth. He wants us to ask for his ways to invade our ways. Jesus tells us to bring the kingdom, the king's domain, to the earth. I love this quote by a teacher named Bill Johnson. He said, it's God's job to bring us to heaven. And it's our job to bring heaven to earth. What a privilege that is. In the story that we heard earlier, Eric prayed for the kingdom, the king's domain, to enter their situation and circumstance. Eric prayed for what was in heaven to manifest, to come about on the earth. Eric prayed for healing and miracles and their testimony to be shared with many. Eric, in the prayers of many, brought the kingdom to the earth in their situation. And we got to witness that today. You know what's cool? When we bring the kingdom to the earth and we give God the glory, people want to know who is this king? Who is this king of the kingdom? When we pray for physical healing, we're praying his kingdom come to the earth. When we're praying for God's ways to invade our ways, we're praying his kingdom come to to earth. When we pray for freedom and for wholeness, we're praying for God's kingdom to come to earth. And similar to what I was saying earlier, the best way to know the kingdom and know how to pray the kingdom is to know God. And to really know God, we got to know his word. Eric prayed, your kingdom come because he knew God's word. He knew God is healer. He knew that in Luke 9 that we're to proclaim the kingdom. It's so easy for us to be all too familiar with the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness. And it's not so, we're not so familiar with the kingdom 
of heaven, especially in, the, in these times. We've all been schooled on the kingdom of the coronavirus. In this part of the prayer, Jesus is teaching us and inviting us yet again to know God, to know how he thinks, to know that he has heaven's perspective, not the world's perspective, and then to know and to bring the kingdom to the earth. Back um, in the early days of Gateway South, we were, when we met over at Covington Middle School, one Sunday morning I woke up and before I opened my eyes, I had th- this couple just popped in, in my mind. And I didn't know them very well at all. I just, I just knew their faces. And I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to pray for them. And so I just immediately, laying there in my bed, I just prayed for them. God, you know, you know this couple and you know what they're going through and you're good. And God, I just pray for a breakthrough in their life. Whatever's going on, in Jesus' name, amen. And then I got up and went about my day, and those, that couple just would not get off my mind. I just, they were, I just couldn't stop thinking about them. And so I was like, okay, God, well, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to pray over them, pray, like pray for them in person. And so, God, if, if that's what you want me to do, if I see them today, then, then I'll do that. I'll ask them for how, how I can pray for them. And so I go into the day, I get to, get to church, and first service, first service happened, I didn't see him. First service ended, I didn't see him. Second service started, didn't see him. Second service ended, didn't see him. And I'm thinking, okay. Meanwhile, they are like on the brain. And so I um, was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm just supposed to keep praying for them. And then as I was just getting ready to start doing the teardown process, getting things organized, I see the wife begin to walk down the hallway. And like any weird person would, I go running over to her. I was like, hey. Um, and she's kind of like, hey, you know, and she starts walking down. And I, I, I body language wise, I knew she was walking. So I was like, hey, can I walk with you? Weird thing, number two. Um, and she was like, sure. And as we started walking, I was like, I know this may sound weird, but this morning as I was waking up, you and your husband just came to my mind and I just felt like I was supposed to pray for you and I did, but then I just couldn't stop thinking about you all morning and I felt like I was supposed to ask you if there's a specific way that I could be praying for you. And she immediately just started sobbing and I was like, oh boy. Um, And she began to tell me that her and her husband had been trying to have a child for quite some time, and she didn't know what was going on. She was very uh, concerned and overwhelmed, and she continued on. And meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, whoa, oh my goodness, this is not like I'm just having a rough day. I need a hug. This is like I need a miracle. I need healing. And so I'm just going through all this, you know, gymnastics in my mind um, as she continues to tell me their situation, their circumstance. And finally, as she keeps talking, I get myself together and I'm, and I'm like, Amber, this is not about you. This is about this couple whom God loves. And if God brought them to your mind, then there's something that he wants to do for them. And so I got my faith in order and I just said, okay, I believe that God's gonna heal you and I'm, we're just gonna pray and we're just gonna believe that, that God's gonna cause you to, to conceive and that you'll have a healthy baby. And she's like, okay. And so I, we prayed and Jesus' name, amen. And she was encouraged and I went about my day. She went about hers and I forgot, I actually forgot about the situation and about probably, I think it was about two months later or so, um, we were at our annual leadership huddle um, and I saw them. Uh, they, I ran into them, and they come over, and they talk real quietly, and they said, Amber, we're pregnant. And I was like, oh! And we were so excited, and we celebrated. And um, 
today, they, they did have a beautiful, healthy baby, and in fact, now they got two babies, um, which is so exciting, and it was so fun, um, and just such a learning experience for me, too, to know that God brought his kingdom through me, and God wants to bring his kingdom through you. How fun and how cool is that? The next part of the prayer, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And while we could look at this and think, oh, I got this. This is grace. We just pray over our meals. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Not quite. Um, I think Jesus is telling us a little more. Throughout what Jesus is teaching us so far, it's been very relational. Jesus is is teaching us to know him, to get to know him more, and to bring him. And I think that that theme is continuing here. Bread throughout scripture symbolized spiritual food, God's word. And in communion, it symbolizes Jesus's body broken for us. Jesus is the bread. His word is our food. In John chapter one, it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. And in verse 14 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the bread of life. His word is our sustenance. In the same way that we need physical food every day to fuel our bodies, we need God's food in the same way. It's interesting, it says our daily bread, which implies that we need him daily. We need to receive from him daily. Prayer and connection with God is daily, not a, not a weekly, weekly connection on a Sunday morning for 65 minutes, right? Um, there's a story in Exodus 16 where fresh manna, and you may be familiar, was rained down from God for his people outside of their tents. It's interesting, God didn't rain the manna in their beds, kicked back you know, to receive the bread. They actually had to come out of their tent and come get the fresh bread, the manna, every day. Prayer is a pursuit. We need to go to God daily. God has daily words to speak to us, daily encouragement to give us, daily insight and wisdom, but we have to go to him to pursue it. We have to read and study our Bibles. We have to pray. We have to worship. We have to come out of our mindsets and our daily grinds to meet with him and receive from him. We have to make time for him every day. If I go without physical food too long, then I grow weak and eventually I'll die. If I go without the food that Jesus gives me, then I grow weak in my soul and I quickly fall into hopelessness and despair and panic, and anxiety. I forget that he's my father, my dad, and he loves me, and he knows me, and he created me. I forget 
that he is awesome. And he is nothing like this world. He doesn't look like this world. He doesn't see like this world. I forget that he deserves my true worship, not money and self-focus or toilet paper. (laughs) He deserves my true worship. I forget that he wants the kingdom to come through me. I forget that he has something that he wants to give me every day if I would just go to him. I forget our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 